0: Once it got to like week three, week four, man, I was looking so disheveled and uh, I had a backpack on my back. You know, my clothes are kind of, my backpacks kind of falling apart, et cetera, et cetera. So people started to stop t- making eye contact, you know, and they would look away and I'd be, started to feel invisible and uh, you know, people we kind of figure out who we are by how the world treats us. So the world was treating me like I was invisible and even though I was getting all these likes on the phone and like loads of messages and, and encouragement, uh, mentally, it was, it was way harder than anything I'd ever done in the army because I, didn't, I felt like I didn't exist.
1: What is up, everyone? I am Lachlan Samuel, and this is the Open Up Podcast, a show where real people open up and share real stories of struggle. Welcome back to the Open Up Podcast, everyone. is episode 49 with Francis Cronin, my man. Thank you for doing this.
0: Oh, thank you so much, Sam. How are you doing?
1: <laughs> uh, can you give us a quick description of yourself as a man, as a human?
0: Uh, I am an, an, Irish, an Irish born and raised man who is trying to find how he can serve the world and uh, be happy more often. That's pretty much me. That's a cool one. I'm a, yeah, I'm a, I do comedy and I, uh, I was in the army for a while. And uh, yeah, I live in LA and uh, I like people in general, except for when I don't and then I go home and hide out.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, we'll dive straight into childhood, man. Can you give us a mm. quick breakdown of what that was like for you?
0: Yeah, I grew up in a, a lovely... I was very lucky. Uh, that's my first thought is that uh, I grew up in a small home I think at one point there were seven people living in it, and I think it was officially like a two-bedroom home. It might have been a three-bed, but either way, it was quite compact. So uh, right from the outset, I never felt like I was missing anything. Anytime I went anywhere, I always thought there was loads of space and loads of room, and friends' houses were always like a treat. Um, There was always food in the fridge. There was always love in the house. um, And it was always a very it was a very active childhood. It was, my mom always had us doing loads of cool stuff. Like if we weren't doing something, she'd find us something to do. And there was no such thing as being bored. If we were bored, uh, she would say, go and do something. And th- I've never been bored since, you know, since she said that. Cause I, uh, for that reason, I guess, um, there was some, there was some weird dark stuff, uh, in my formative years, you know, uh, I, I lost a brother, uh, to suicide and uh without going into too much detail you know there's a a period of time where there was a little bit of gloom in the house as one would expect and um you know i guess as a result of that that made me very aware of uh other people's emotions and the desire to quell any sadness quickly uh which has led me into some very negative <laughs> relationships and yeah. some very positive relationships, and okay. probably why I, I, I gravitate towards comedy and uh, showbiz, you know, because I, I want to entertain and make people happy and forget their problems.
1: That's awesome, man. That's a cool outcome. <laughs> so, for anyone yeah. who's like either going through that sort of trauma and that grief now, or someone who may go through it in the future, what what would you say to them how to deal with that situation? Based on Ooh, well, what
0: you've gone through. well. Now it's so interesting. Now there seems to be, a, and there probably was back then. But um, you know, I would say basically, if you're struggling, talk to somebody. Um, if someone you know is struggling, talk to them, and then make sure they talk to somebody who actually knows what to do. Yeah. And uh, and um, you know, I guess if there's a lesson to be taken from it, that I think I learned was, you know, uh, you know, you can't. Um you can't save everyone, nor is it your duty to save everyone, nor is it even something you should attempt to do. just the only thing you can do is uh, be kind and uh, and you know take at least the preliminary steps to connect somebody with somebody who can help them uh, but some some people just uh, you know, the struggle is too much, and no matter what you do you could go down with them if you try too hard, you know. Yeah. So um, I didn't learn that from that, but I've learned that from other experiences <laughs> over a lifetime of uh, surrounding myself with people who need help. So, yeah, life is, yeah, life is, I guess the lesson would be, you know, just be as kind as you can to people and assume everyone is having a worse day than you. That's, That's what I'm trying to, yeah.
1: Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I guess we'll... Um... Fast forward to, I guess when you go into the military, do you want to walk us through from there up until
0: your story <clears throat> that you oh, want yeah. to share with the rough set? Oh, yeah, cool. So uh, growing up in Ireland, um, you know, there, there is a military there. We don't really need it except for uh, aid to the civil power, which is taking care of, say, uh, things that like the police or, you know, floods or, uh, you know, patrol of the borders of the sea. So the chances of going to war are pretty limited, but the chances of having an interesting uh adventure are really high. So when <laughs> I it's it's so yeah, dude, after 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 school, you know, I always enjoyed the outdoors. My dad used to take us hill walking all the time. I knew how to read maps. I spent most of my time outdoors. I had no interest in guns, but I was always like I just liked the challenge. I liked the... Uh, I liked, I was very fit, you know, I've been doing cross country my whole life, so I just thought, oh, I'll be good at this, and guess what, I don't have to look at books anymore. Uh, So I joined, I joined the army at 18, I joined, at the same time I joined the army, I got into university to do arts, but I, when I got both of them at the same time, uh, it just felt like, what? why would I study after studying for 15 years, why don't I go out make some money and and be 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 a man you know or whatever like do, just like experience like the world and i did college for a month and then just like as soon as uh, as soon as the induction process for the army came up i just me and my friend jeff actually we both joined together we were both kind of hoodwinked into it because uh my my friend picked us up on his motorbike and it did like 130 miles an hour so we associated that adrenaline rush with the with the motorbike ride so he picked us up on the motorbike and gave us a tour of the base, you know, the local Air Force base. Yeah. And we're going, okay, this is cool. This is what the army is. Little did we know it was, uh, you know, just it's pretty hard slog in the army, man. The pay's not great. and uh, But the camaraderie and the brotherhood make up for it. You know, the, the it, it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful thing, man. Yeah. I have friends for life. Yeah, like maybe a hundred people who I could probably call <laughs> and they would show up if I needed them. Isn't that crazy?
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> How you're talking about you always needed to help people or to heal people, um, especially with what you're doing now of comedy. Did you have that same sense when you were in the military?
0: Oh, that yeah. I should just temper that slightly. Like you know, I'm. I don't think I'm that like. I'm a pretty uh, benevolent being. Like I try not to ruffle anyone's feathers, and I try and make sure I don't add to anyone's pain. But I'm not going around like Mother Teresa, you know. Yeah. Like, uh, if, yeah. If someone bothers me, I'll, you know, I'll let them know. it, you know, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not a martyr. And <laughs> I'm just an average guy. But uh, when you start connecting the dots, you know, in reverse, you start saying, "Oh, I wonder, am I doing comedy because I don't want to see suffering?" And I'm kind of, I have a heightened sense. Of like, how are, you, how are they feeling over there? So maybe, maybe I've got like, maybe this is true or maybe it's not, but I feel like I can kind of sense how people are feeling on a very high level. And that allows me to read people in a room when you're trying to conduct like a comedy show. Cool. So, um, yeah, what was the question again before I got um, too much coffee? I think I'll go to another
1: <laughs> question. <It's>, um, <laughs> were you able to be yourself in that environment?
0: In the army, uh, initially, initially I didn't want to be myself when I joined the army. I wanted to, um, I wanted, I wanted to. I found it very gratifying because I didn't have to think much, and I had just spent my whole life thinking a lot. So when the army told me to do something, and there was no choice but to do it, it was a great relief, you know. Like get to the top of that hill, or uh, we're gonna keep you up all night. Okay, great. I'll get to the top of the hill, or or. Um, there's some there's something about suffering that bonds uh people together so w- the training in the irish army despite our lack of um you know we're trained basically to go overseas with the united nations so the training is a really high level of uh, it's quite an onslaught on the senses you know yeah. and and it goes on for a long period of time and it's extremely <laughs> physical so in terms of the physicality of it, yeah, I could be myself, man, because uh, I loved it. I was, I was lucky. I went in there super fit from cross country, and if you're fit in the army, man, a lot of pain doesn't come your way. You don't, you don't draw a lot of attention. The last thing you want to do is be is stand out in the military. <laughs> they caught because uh, if you're if you stand out in the military, you're you're either in front of the NCOs, the sergeants, getting shouted at for for messing up or being too slow, or um, you know, you're given way too much responsibility, and no one can live up to the expectations of a of the the local lieutenant. So, uh, yeah, dude, you're always trying to be the grey man in the army. That's what they call it the person who gets everything done quietly, and that people don't really know exists. I was uh, I loved it for the fitness, and I loved it for the camaraderie, and I loved it for the challenges, and um, I loved when people would test us physically, and then we would tire them out. That was one of the greatest things. Like we would go to the top of a mountain, like, you know, the big mountain in Ireland with our backpacks and we're all, we're all tired. And they're trying to, they're trying to make us super tired in training, you know. And then we would, we get to the top and then we'd look at the drill instructor and, and just to mess with his mind, you know, just to break him. <laughs> we'd say, ah, isn't the view beautiful? And he'd be destroyed, but we were like super fit. So we were like fitter than the instructors. And that was, that was how we won the mental <laughs> mind game, you know. It's so so yeah, I in, yeah, yeah i enjoyed it dude i mean the stuff yeah and it rains a lot man when you're training so that really toughened me up for later life in terms of oh how much can i fit in in a day the army taught me that yeah. so like from the moment you get up in the morning you're barely you don't stand still until you go to bed you're you're either eating running getting screamed at crawling or ironing right and you're just doing that over and over again for months like 22 months i think the cadetship is 21 months all together yeah, so I, I really enjoyed that, man. Tough stuff makes you tougher. So how do
1: you go from um, the military wanting to be in this gray area, the one who does everything without getting noticed, to now like being the only person on stage having all the attention.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, I was trying to figure out, is that because I have an ego that needs satiating? Um, <laughs> Extremely self yeah, I yeah dude yeah well yeah i'm always looking at myself in the third person like even on this like i'm kind of wondering wow am i coming across as a pretentious irish know-it-all who thinks he's cool because he went to the army or something Um i think the reason i jumped on stage man is um so when i went to when i went to the army i was one of the one of the gang right whatever but but i ended up uh getting pretty close to the top of my class, you know, uh, and I realized, oh, so my whole life I thought I could never be an officer in the army, you know, that was for other people of a different social status and with connections and uh, their family's home when they were growing up would have been much bigger and there was definitely a horse in the back garden. But I never had that, right? So I thought I can't do that. And then once I became an officer and not only became an officer, but had a, they gave me like a, a thing called the tactical sword for being good. I was like, oh shit, there's no such thing as limits. So that was a mental limit. So I'm like, okay, Frank, what did you want to do before the world told you that there was a framework not through which you can't break through? What was the, Before you were told there was a glass ceiling, what was it? And I remember thinking it was stand-up comedy. Because it looks really hard, but it also, when it's done well, is like, it's a beautiful thing. And it's a great business model. If <laughs> I've tried business, man. I tried like a recording studio. I tried some bars in Mexico and stuff. And when, you, when you've done business for a while and you, you realize, oh, my God, there's only one person on stage. There's no background dancers. There's no music. There's a microphone. And they give you that. It's like, OK, so there's no overheads. And all I have to use is my thoughts and my brain. It's the best business model on the planet, dude. <laughs> so uh, after the army, I was like, OK, I can do the hard stuff mentally i know how to get through it because comedy truly it's it's kind of traumatic I'll, I'll tell you a bit you know it's, it's it's basically you get good by failing publicly you know there's nothing easy about it Man, you know? trial by fire that's scary yeah dude it's yeah yeah but it, you know i fail so much in life uh you know it's not even a joke but i fail so much dude you know on a daily basis trying to get things done that i'm very comfortable i like I'm always trying to increase my rate of failure. Someone else more intelligent than me said that. But I, that's literally how I, I'm like, how can I fail quicker so I learn quicker? Uh, you know, like this podcast. <laughs> yeah. I'm failing. No, but, you know,
1: I'm, not, <laughs> I'm sure you'd know Conor McGregor says, either win or you learn. So every failure is an yeah. opportunity to learn and grow, man.
0: Yeah, dude. And, and stand up comedy was just, it was, it was just, oh, wow. So that's a hard thing I can fail regularly at. No overhead, so I can do it. And it looks fun. I mean, that was literally the thought behind it. <laughs> and uh, and my inner child was really happy when I thought about doing it. You know, like this kind of, you know, like we all have this good feeling. Some people call it a good feeling. I like to think of it as like an inner child that we should try and raise, right? You know? Yeah. So, like, I'm trying to raise this inner child, right? So I'm like, well, what does my inner child want to do? Oh, he seems to like the idea of stand-up comedy. Oh, well, what else? The, like... Uh, it would that be good for him? Well, if you get really good and work really hard, you make loads of money. So yes, you know. So I, I just jumped into it, dude.
1: That's so cool. Um, <laughs> yeah. With obviously comedy, it's a little bit different, but most people's fear or one of their top fears is public speaking, like even more so yeah. than de- even more so than death in America. I think it's number <laughs> one. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Like. And that's because of that fear of people judging them while they're speaking. For you though, yeah. it literally is people judging you. They are going to judge you based on your material and how you come across. Yeah.
0: How did you go about yeah.
1: that first? The first time you had to get up on stage, man.
0: Oh well, oh dude, the first time I got on stage, I had I literally I had a whiteout. You know, I got on stage, I got through my my set, I. Literally don't know how the audience reacted because I was so scared. It was in a laundromat stroke coffee shop in San Francisco called uh, Brainwash Cafe. Yeah, and I remember there was this one woman up the front and she was laughing hard. And then I found out that she laughs hard for everyone, so it didn't mean anything. <laughs> right? So she's just kind of delusional. So I thought I was killing it. But I was I remember just I was so scared that when I got down, man, I was so drained I had to sit down and my vision started going like I white it. I was adrenalized so much. But what happens is your brain re- your brain rewires itself to get used to it. you know? Someone told me this. I don't know if you find your listeners will find this interesting, but like the reason people find public speaking apparently so hard is because if if we're all like apes, right? Yeah, so if all the apes' eyes are looking at you, you're about to get pulled apart and eaten alive. It's cool. so that's what so that's like innately, when everyone's looking up at the stage, that's why it's so scary is because, that's people only look at you when they're going to take action and it's usually negative. So, uh, but public speaking, it's just a muscle, man. And a lot of it, you, you start to learn certain things like how to pull yourself out of holes. If there's a silence to acknowledge it, how to pierce tension, how to pivot, go in a different direction. If a joke falls flat or it's an, on a topic that you didn't re- like say you go and say you're at a, <laughs> it's a kid's show. No bad language, so you have to re—you have to make sure and censor stuff. You you just adjust, 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 and you adjust so much that at some point you can adjust in any moment, in any scenario, and that usually seems to take around twelve to fifteen years to get the mind that agile. I'm, a, I'm at about am at about seven th- seven years, so in about five years, if I keep if you trust the process and you trust that your brain and the plasticity of your brain is being rewired. There's a really good chance that I'll, another five years I'll be I'll actually be funny. <laughs> <laughs> You're so hard on yourself, man. <laughs> I I'm, yeah, I yeah I I don't know yeah that's I'm not really like inside there's a part of me who thinks I'm a great fella. Yeah. Uh But uh, the Irish part of me won't let me say it out loud. Yeah. You know.
1: <laughs> humble, uh, humble brag.
0: <laughs> exactly. Well, yeah. With- <laughs> Um, with
1: public speaking, so for anyone who may be coming up to their first time public speaking, how would you say they approach it? Is there any tips for someone who's going to do that?
0: Yeah, yeah. Rehearse it until, until you can speed through everything you're going to say verbatim. So every, a lot of people, if they've never done any theater or they've never taken a class, they think they know what they're going to say. Uh, because they've said it once in front of a mirror. Nah, dude, you need to be so off book that you can say it while you're doing push that while you're running up a hill. Like it's like I don't know if uh, anyone out there is religious or was brought up religious, but you need to be able to, <laughs> to rattle it off like a prayer. And then you need to. You also need to imagine when you're public speaking. Don't get too locked into your material. Get like know it so well that you that when you're saying it, it's coming out. And you're focused elsewhere. Because when I'm on stage, dude, if I'm rolling, if I'm doing like 20 or 30 minutes and all co- all comedians will tell you this, it's not like, we, it's, it's not magic. It's not like we think we're great. But you're literally, you're kind of looking at yourself in the third person, watching yourself. Okay. Oh, Frank. Wow. You, you need to go faster. They're not paying attention. Oh, you need to hit your consonants harder so that you, you know, oh, dude, bigger act outs. Oh, they like dirty humor. Go dirty. You know, so you're, <laughs> So you're you're here, like right beside yourself, watching yourself, and you can't watch yourself if you're focused on what's coming out of your mouth. So do it a hundred times. Do it up a hill. Say it while you're running, and then uh, say it in front of one person, three people, and then a hundred, and you'll be fine. It's awesome. Man. And do it, yeah. And if you're doing stand up, do it a hundred times before you decide whether you like it or not. Like don't do a hundred five minute sets in a coffee shop. No one's good the first time, and no one sealed a Netflix deal the first time. You have to do it for 7 to 12 years for Netflix to even look at you. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> um, really. I, I think we'll fast forward
1: to Rough Set, bro. Um, oh, we'll brilliant. Just wrap that up. Did you want to explain what that is and how that come about?
0: Yeah, so um, Rough Set was... Basically, I, I, I was a... Uh, you know I do comedy I was in the army and I like adventure and uh, I also you know like every normal human I like the idea of being of service to the world and helping people right and um, and so I thought oh I'm going to go on a walk from San Francisco to LA I wonder if I can raise some money for a charity and actually people kept coming up to me and saying, why you walking and I'd be like cuz I want to walk and they'd say well dude you got to get a charity so I Serendipity. Uh, a person came up, Chelsea, from a local comedy club. She was doing. She was serend engineer. She said, "Let's uh, let's hook you up with homeless healthcare, Los Angeles." And I had just uh, recently had a uh, some friends who had uh, and people in my immediate circle who had been homeless and living in their car and then living on the streets and one who had passed away and uh, a lot of friends who in LA are never more than. 100 feet from somebody who's living on the streets, and you're also never more than one person away from someone who has an opioid addiction. So, you know, that stuff just crosses your path very regularly here. Uh, you know, truly, is, there's an epidemic here. It's, it's very sad. So this charity seemed like the perfect fit for the 500-mile walk, and I thought, I need a hook to raise money. If I'm going to raise money, the walk is not enough. People walk all the time. So I said, oh, I'll sleep out rough every night in just a sleeping – I'll just take a sleeping bag, no tent. And I thought that'll get them, that'll get their attention. And uh, yeah, lo and behold, we ended up raising $20,000 for homeless healthcare, in Los Angeles. That's and awesome, another, <laughs> it's crazy, right? I've never, I never, uh... it's crazy, man. I never did, I was never part of anything like that was that effective, you know? So that's like, you know, the, what I was saying about being in the army, man. You, you put these ceilings on yourself, you put these limits on yourself, and then you, you don't aim for the stars and you never hit the moon, you know? So do now Now it's like, okay, how big can I go? So the next move will, will be way better, even cooler, you know? Yeah, um, there, was there
1: a reason for it being 500 miles? <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, it, I think it's 376 if you drive. And I just thought it was a cool – first of all, San Francisco to L.A. is a doable distance. You know, it's like I thought I could do it in three weeks, maybe 18 days, a marathon a day. Uh, and the reason it was 500 miles was it was an easy number for people to remember. Yeah, And if you walk it, it's over 500. So I knew I, I wasn't shortchanging myself or the the journey. It ended up probably being closer to six or seven because of the amount of mistakes I made. <laughs> like Google, Google Maps just wanted me to get eaten by mountain lions. I'm convinced of it, dude. <laughs> so uh, yeah, it, uh, if you want, I can kind of take you through it. It was pretty, yeah, pretty intense, it. you know. Um, so
1: um, before, I guess before <laughs> we jump into it, did you, obviously, you planned it out a little bit you would have thought about it a lot. Yeah. Did you? Were you prepared enough mentally for what you were undertaking?
0: <laughs> I thought I was, dude. <laughs> uh, if if you've been in the if you've been in the army at any level over a period of time or served overseas uh, with the army, you, you think you're pretty robust mentally because you see so much and you're put to the test quite a lot physically and uh, asked to do things when you're very tired and with sleep deprivation and sleeping out. So I thought, okay, sleeping out, for people watching, that would be like the big thing. But for me, I was just like, yeah, I'll, I can sleep out anywhere, dude. I dug a hole and lived in it for two weeks in like Ireland in the rain, so whatever. you know. So that part of my mind, I was, I was cool about that. What I didn't expect, man, and what really got to me mentally, and which was probably the biggest, the, the biggest lesson that I took from it was the power of eye contact and how little eye contact people make with the homeless yeah so as I uh, I'm jumping on a little bit here but basically once it got to like week three week four man I was looking so disheveled and uh, I had a backpack on my back you know my clothes are kind of my backpacks kind of falling apart etc etc so people started to stop making eye contact you know and they would look away and I'd be started to feel invisible and uh, you know people we kind of figure out who we are by how the world treats us so the world was treating me like I was invisible and even though I was getting all these likes on the phone and like loads of messages and, and encouragement, uh, mentally it was, it was way harder than anything I'd ever done in the army because I, didn't, I felt like I didn't exist. You know, I was outside, like I was in the out group of society looking in and it didn't seem to be getting better. It was very odd, man, very yeah. odd. Well, it was like a, I was outside outside the Matrix.
1: That's a massive contrast yeah. to being in the military, being part of a brotherhood, um, sticking yeah. it to the man, to your, your officers, and then, of course, being on stage, having all the attention to, you know, being yeah. essentially homeless and having none, and feeling non-existent.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, now, I was only scratching the... I, I always have to put in this caveat. I was only scratching the surface of what it was like, you know? Yeah. I, after three weeks, man, but I, I mean, that was like, it was so eye-opening. I can't imagine how dark and how sad it is for an individual who's out there long-term who may have mental health issues and a limited support system or a drug addiction, which I think is about 37% prevalence of people who are living out have a, a, a you know, a drug addiction. Not everyone, one common misconception is everyone on the streets, uh, you know, is struggling with a drug addiction. Uh, apparently in LA it's 37% or in California. Out of the 115,000 people in California living in uh, substandard shelter or no shelter at all, only 37% of them uh, have a, a drug affliction. So so a lot of people are out there just because they got a divorce, you know. <laughs> That's the yeah. truth. It's, it's dark, man. They made a few decisions in their life or some things happened to them that they couldn't predict. And they're out there, you know, one minute's me or you or... And then the next minute, it's you and me on the street. No one Scary, looking at man. you. No one caring. Yeah.
1: Um, so yeah. Did you want to walk us through, like what you were yeah. doing day to day?
0: Yeah. So I started with the, at the Golden Gate Bridge. I had a camera crew, and I thought, oh, this is this is about young Irish Francis Cronin running from San Francisco, walking from San Francisco to LA, doing comedy along the way, and along the way, I'll figure out how to raise money for the homeless charity. You know. But as soon as I started, man, the first night I did a show uh, at the Punchline, right? And I get it. This is uh, with a guy called um, Dana Gould, who wrote on The Simpsons. He just let me jump up on the stage for 10 minutes. And I realised, oh, my God. People, first of all, there's a lot of kindness in the world. People want to help. Like, I never met this guy. He's a big star. He's letting me jump up. Okay. So maybe this isn't all about me. me. Maybe this is about the kind people I meet along the way. And then... uh, that night walking through san francisco man it's not like ireland or uh, australia i mean it's an epidemic of people suffering and having the worst time and they're completely lost and san francisco there's just a lot of homeless people there you know and it's so in your face and i was just after having a wonderful time on stage and i'm I'm just absorbing the concept that I'm now like, and I'm a kind of an ambassador for this charity, you know, raising money at, at, a, at some sort of uh, higher profile than I'm used to. So I realize, man, okay, this is not about me at all. This is about the people I meet and the um, the 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 homeless charity. So by day five, we're doing this. Oh the, well, actually, day two I wake up after sleeping. Um, between an off ramp and a highway <laughs> and they, uh, it was the first night I had sleep, and I was doing this piece to camera. I had a cameraman for the first few days to you know to capture the, yeah. the whole experience and uh, the first morning I wake up i 'm given a piece to camera and he's um, it 's going great, and then I turn my head just a little too quickly, and I, uh, a twig goes into my eye and You know, this is forty-eight hours into what I think is going to be like the greatest project I've ever been a part of. I thought, dude, you got to understand. I, I had, I had made so many calls and emails to media to get the profile of this project up there because I, I have this mantra, you know, throw yourself in so deep that the only way out is to succeed. Like that's how I, like, like right now I'm studying. I'm about to do comedy in French, dude. I have, I gotta work, man. I've never (laughs) done comedy. In French, nor have I spoken since I was like 18, you know. So I, I have this belief that you're supposed to do hard shit, but now, now I got it. Excuse me, I have a 30% corneal abrasion, and my eye won't open. And that the doctor's talking about that I might lose the eye. And this and this is day two out of what I thought oh, would be right. 20. And all, yeah, dude. So it was very humbling. Within 48 hours, my world's falling apart. And uh, and then day five, I think it was, I was in a place called San Jose, which is about. I'm guessing 50 miles south of San Francisco, about to do a a comedy show with a guy called Craig Shoemaker. Uh, Very funny guy. And uh, I'm walking out of a dentist's office. I had just slept in the back of the dentist's, uh, like this weird tiny garden. I had hopped the fence and I was sleeping in the back because we were doing a piece with the documentary crew about uh, how living on the streets can affect your your, your dental hygiene and your health in general. Yeah. So I'm le- I'm leaving there. I'm extremely exhausted. I feel like I've bitten off more than I can chew, and it's only day five, and I know I haven't made much mileage, much ground. And then I meet this guy called Andrew, who's long-term homeless, living, I believe, with his, with his girlfriend underneath a, a piece of plastic in a ditch uh, beside an off-ramp in San Jose. And as I'm walking up to him, I didn't even see him, actually. He just... He just goes, "Hey, dude, you want some breakfast?" And I'm like, "This is a man on, who on a shopping, who has a shopping cart with a, a gas stove, that he's 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 got nothing." And here's me moaning, man. He changed my whole. I thought I was ed- educating people and and bringing joy and maybe the potentially some money to the homeless. Dude, this guy's giving me breakfast and he's got nothing, you know. So that was a whole. My ego just like. Just went on holidays then. I just go, oh, okay. So <laughs> whatever I'm involved in here is way bigger than me walking. It's not about me at all, really. It's about the kindness in California and the capacity of humanity to help others. If And if we stop looking at the mainstream media, how beautiful the world is, you know? Yeah.
1: Uh, Do you feel like – Yeah, um, dude. Because I w- obviously there's a lot of scarcity in the world, so people want to keep everything to themselves. Do you think because – when people in that situation when they have literally nothing there's nothing to be scarce about?
0: Yeah I think I think I think you're onto something there I, I have to say my experience there, there seems to be a thought out there that does the rounds about you know well wealthy people don't give and and poor people give and it's like, but I am I can honestly say now I, I know a lot of wealthy people and they give you know hundreds of thousands or millions even and then I know uh, on my walk, because I was surrounded and operating at, at that, that level of income, that every time I walked into a place and there was homeless people outside, they'd ask me, well, hey, do you hungry? And, and if they had food, they'd share it. Like, there's, there's a lot of street rules out there to make sure that no one goes without. And, and a lot of this concept that, that people are evil hoarders and stuff like that, like yes, it exists. But that's put on blast because it's entertaining to see. The reality from my experience my limited experience my one walk but across like pretty much a state was that every city i went through every ethnicity every type of human you could meet every income status everybody was sweet without ex- i didn't carry a weapon man i didn't carry nothing well wow. I, I wasn't attacked i, I wasn't and I, you know i'm sleeping out man and people there is there's terrible things can happen to you out there but it's a the world is so beautiful. If you, if we step outside what social media wants us to feel, and actually go out and feel what is the reality, it's like a parallel universe, man. Like, and that really made me happy because I knew that to be true in my heart. I knew that was the case, but I, I didn't walk, walk the walk. I didn't know it for sure, you know. That's cool. But I experienced it. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you know this, dude, uh, but people were bringing me. A, bringing me in for food and, um, yeah. you know, let me shower in their homes. And I had a problem with my right leg for a long time. And a guy drove up and brought me a roller to roll out the knot. And like a woman, uh, because I was raising money for charity, people would know where I was going. They could track me on satellite via my website so they could live track me in real time. The woman came and met me and then, uh, offered to give me a, a massage. Like she's a holistic healer, dude. It's just like the compassion people have,
1: there's, that's a the good desire representation to help of the law of attraction though bro that's like you're doing oh, something is... good so people are doing good shit for you
0: oh dude that was a freaky thing because i was starting man <laughs> i you got like you 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 probably get this a lot you probably get a lot of positive stuff um so i i've i've got a little bit of uh, press in the past or whatever but never this positive right so now i'm getting It was, it got to a point where it was overwhelmingly positive and people were sharing very emotional stuff. Some people were emailing me just like videos of them crying and telling me like, this is to the level where you, you start going, wait, okay. Okay. It's not me, right? I figured it out. This was this helped me a lot. It's not me. It's that people have so much goodness in them that they finally have a conduit to like let that like let the beauty that they have inside and i just happen to be an easy conduit to reach i'm i'm in their hand i'm on instagram in their hand and i'm doing something for the good of humanity for once in my life right i'm doing it and they can actually they can support me and by supporting me they feel oh thank god i have somewhere to give this yearning to be good so it had and once i realized oh it's not you frank it's the message and you're merely a conduit I was able to relax and my fucking ego, t- well, excuse me, yeah. my ego took another hike, you know? It's almost uh, as if
1: how you're talking about when people on stage and that ape mentality of eyes looking at you with these people who are reaching out to you, finally using you as this conduit to give and be kind, like I finally felt connected to their tribe, finally felt like a part of the primate pack.
0: Yeah, 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 and a, a, a lot of comedy, man, Is it, most comedians will tell you this, Uh well, if they don't, maybe they're not comedians. It's like you, you walk into every room and every room has its own personality as a group, much like when you're a kid and you walk into the next classroom and it smells funny and there's like a weird, you know. But like when you walk into a, any room, whether it's a coffee shop, a 200 seat or 800 seat or 5,000, it's like it's a, the audience has its own personality. And you have to figure out what that is. But the, the, the whole goal is to get them to from their disparate energies that they come into the room with to unite in one energy, and then all at the same time, exhale. Ha, that's it. That's our whole job, man. <laughs> and what, it gets so scientific, uh, you know, the more you do it. It's, it's, a lot of it is about rhythm. And, um, but getting, you're right, dude. It's getting everybody on the same frequency. And that's what happened with the walk. People, it was sustained over 40 days. So people had time to discover it, invest in it, leave it, come back to it, invest more heavily emotionally in it then make a donation to the homeless healthcare Los Angeles. And that's how, that's why it was effective. I figured that it's like sustained exposure to good content. That was pretty much it. That's awesome, man. <laughs> Dude, this is what's going to happen with you too. Cause you're making this great co- content and it's regular.
1: Yeah.
0: So it's like over time, the rapport you're going to build with people is, I don't know, actually what, maybe this is huge already. But this is going to be like, <laughs> no, I've heard some yet. of your stuff, Matt. Yeah, but the way you're doing it's very cool. So I'm excited for you.
1: Thanks, bro. Yeah. I've, got, I've got a question. Um, when you're talking about feeling non existent and then, like, obviously doing this over 40 days, it's a long time. And I think you said at the three mm. week mark, you start to feel non existent. During that last week, were you still able to perform? Properly, like on stage, were you able to transition
0: from feeling oh, yeah. of non-existence to like this community? Yeah, that's a stage? great dude. That's a great question. I definitely oscillated nearly on a daily basis. So, and it was a, a lot. of it was dependent on ba- uh, how much sleep I got. So, or so when you're living on, if you're living out on the streets uh, like uh, I was for that short period of time, um, most of your how you operate in the world is based on how well you slept the night before and were you cold and have you eaten. And uh, most nights I was cold, and uh, but I had eaten. Uh, so I would wake up feeling miserable, smash some coffees, do 10 miles, have a meal, charge my phone while having the meal so I could edit the one to three videos that I was uploading a day. Uh, and then hopefully that night, although I only did about six shows <laughs> or seven shows, eight shows maybe on the whole route, um, maybe if it was a comedy night, I would work really hard to put myself in a frame of mind that I could deliver some comedy. Um, most of the time when I got on stage, and here's the cool thing about comedy, when, when, you're, when you really are tired and you barely care, but you're well rehearsed, it's often some of your best gigs, you know, because they can sense you don't care. <laughs> and when, when an audience sees that you're relaxed, and like you're sitting back in your heels, you're kind of like laughing at the stupidity of this whole thing, uh, it can go very well. The first few nights I did it, um, I was so caught up in maybe the, I got to have a great set. And uh, I was actually too present. I was too self-aware. And some, I was skipping uh, setups and hitting punchlines early because I was exhausted. But by the end, dude, I think I was, a, I think I'm a much better comedian as a result of doing sets uh, when I was exhausted. <laughs> so <laughs> that's,
1: yeah. that's a good insight, man, because I think I watched a video about Jim Carrey and how he opened to his audience and he goes yeah. on, and asks people how they are. And then before they get a chance to say anything, it's like, all righty then. Just to <laughs> yeah, let them know that he
0: doesn't care. <laughs> mm. Well, like here's the thing you really do. Like if you don't care as a comedian, <laughs> you, I mean, you're not really a comedian, you're a sociopath. So, so yeah, I, I care a lot, like to a, a degree where like, I want, like most people have invested in the price of a ticket and their time which is valuable. It's, it's like such a uh, nice thing that anyone would do for a comedian to come out and like sit in front of you. So uh, my goal, like I definitely care. The thing is, if you care too much, then you stagnate and you stop looking from out here and then you get in your head. So you need to be, you need to care just enough that you can sit outside yourself and look at how stupid this whole thing is. Look, we've all come to one place because we're sad and we need to laugh you know it's like you just need to be you just need to be care enough to be mischievous and uh, but not care enough to be um, to get in your own head and and get tight you know and get serious I I just need to (laughs) expound upon
1: that Um, like I feel like what he was doing was going on telling people that he doesn't care to break that barrier to let them know (laughs) that no matter what they think he's comfortable with himself and his material
0: yeah, yeah, you're, yeah, you're probably you're probably right, man. And that that's literally a lot of stand up comedy is, is horse whispering. You like you, horse you figure whispering. out what are what are like the triggers. Okay, so if I look relaxed, the audience relaxes, and then they find me funnier. If I look tense, or I'm in my own head, or or I I show them like Jim Carrey like that, like he was doing the opposite. But if I show them that I care too much, then they don't go with me on the journey. They want to punish you. It's like, it's pretty. That's why it's so weird, man. That's why we talk about killing and bombing because it's a ferocious sport. It's just disguised as something that's very like, oh, look, it's so easy. It's like, it's so, I love when people try it for the first time and they come off like, what the hell was that? <laughs> it's so <laughs> devastating. <laughs> but, but yeah, it's, um, yeah, you're you're right, man. That's uh, He's well, He's a genius. He's like the, one of the greats. <laughs> uh,
1: before we move on to a couple questions and wrap up, what were the lessons you'd take away from the rough set, man? Uh,
0: one is aim higher and don't put ceilings on yourself. Another one is like uh, be aware of how we treat homeless people. Like we're all most people who walk the planet, ninety-nine point nine percent, including yourself, myself, and all your listeners. When they see someone homeless, they want to help them, <clears throat> but sometimes what we actually do is we look away and uh, you know we don't have to fix the problem ourselves or as an individual. There's plenty of organizations who know what to do with your money. so like I would just say three things that we could do to help the homeless is uh, or four things: one is like make eye contact, smile, let them know they exist, make a small donation to a charity and Try and make it habitual, that's all uh, as opposed to our, our our habits that we've picked up over the years, which is uh oh shit, homeless person, I want to help them, but it feels bad because it's a reflection of how we treat our weaker citizens. uh I'll just ignore you know you know uh I think uh, we can do better and we can build better habits that's yeah. my
1: goal i think um because i've I've been someone who's been that person at the mall who. Tries to get you to buy something from a stall, you know. Who walks out to you yeah. and like, hey, sir, can you can you buy this off me? I feel it's the same sort of thing with homelessness. People who are walking past those stalls in the mall won't make eye contact because they're scared you're going to ask them for something. I think that's more than likely the same for the, for homelessness and homeless people.
0: And and absolutely probably true. Here's here's the thing. And this is where I made the leap mentally for me. I mean, like, yeah, you're absolutely right. Here's the thing. They go back to living under a sheet of plastic. Yeah. So any inconvenience. And they don't get to go home and get a hug. And like some of those, some people who are living on the streets haven't had a hug, uh, like physical contact or a hug in, in a month, two months, three months, a year. You know, the the the, the atrophy of sense of self and the, like, it's hard to communicate, but after three weeks, dude, I was falling apart, you know? Yeah. The idea that I wouldn't I wouldn't suffer a little bit in possibly an uncomfortable conversation or a, no, dude, I don't have money, like, acknowledging the existence is all I, I preach at this point, because I know, I know, like, there's, and, and uh, all homeless organizations and all homeless, you know, the homeless people tell you themselves, not every interaction is always easy, but it's worth it the discomfort if it if it ever uh, got moves into discomfort it's it's worth it because uh that person exists. Yeah. And they finally feel with human contact that they exist, you know?
1: And that's a powerful it's just, uh, message, man. If if people can change their mindset from I'm scared you're gonna ask me for something to I might I might make this person feel worthy or feel good enough or feel like they exist, that's a whole different conversation
0: Yeah dude. Yeah, because I get I get a little emotional about it, but like just the fucking level of suffering out there is insane. And when you, when you get close to it, it's – I can't really do it justice, you know, how little these people feel part of the universe, you know. And uh, how – yeah, it's brutal. So a little smile, a little bit of cash to uh, it. Like, that's the thing about uh, charities. They know what to do with the money even if we don't, you know. They know what to do. So, so uh, that, that's all I'm preaching, you know that's cool man
1: i'm glad you're preaching that message
0: yeah good (laughs) a few few questions it's it's probably the the most useful thing i've ever done on this planet
1: (laughs) i think you should be proud of yourself man
0: um yeah i'm trying you know that's actually I, i that's one thing another little thing i figured out on the walk was you know somewhere somewhere along the way cynicism has taken over right and cynicism is like a it's a weird mental magic that people use to feel good about not taking action. Yeah. So what we do now is we, we do, ah oh, goody two-shoes. Oh, do-gooder. So you were Where talking were we? about
1: cynicism, <laughs> Mr.
0: goody oh, two-shoes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, just like, you know, cynicism is like a really easy way to get out of uh, taking action. You know, you just go, ah, well goody two shoes over there and then you don't have to do anything because you've trivialized anything they're trying to do yeah so it's actually pretty hard i think to live a, a good life you know so uh or a life that is um that serves a purpose greater than yourself right and like the funny thing is i think the universe is probably programmed to um, to reward you more so if you're selfless than if you are selfish Yep. And I think we've been distracted uh, from that. I don't know why. I don't know whether it was intentionally or not. But, like, it's almost selfish how much you get in return if you do a selfless act. Like, I've definitely never received this much uh, love, you know? Never. Uh, and it was, uh, you know, so in, in many ways, like, it was selfish. <laughs> so The whole walk was a selfish act. So. Uh, yeah, man. I mean, it just makes me well, I, like want to wade into well, what would be the repercussions of focusing on only things outside yourself, you know? And then, like, maybe that would affect comedy. Maybe you could bring that into stand-up comedy, whereby, like, oh, so don't think about me being on stage. Think about how can I bring the most joy to the audience. Maybe that's like, maybe that's what Jim Carrey was doing. Yeah. Maybe that's why he's so good because it's not about him. So it's not about oh look at me. Here's my attitude. Here's what I think. It's like how can I make you the happiest? You know, that's cool. Which seems obvious, but yeah, uh-huh. I
1: guess um one last one last last question about the rough yeah. set is did you ever get any I guess negativity sent your way? And if you did, how did you deal with it?
0: Um, yeah, it was like two or three different forms of negativity. Those there were some people who would overshare very harrowing stories either in video format in private or uh you know they would um, they would make they would try and own the 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 subject matter of homelessness because they apparently believed that they were the uh, the gatekeepers of how the subject matter should be uh, treated okay. and discussed in public uh And because what I was doing was kind of nuanced, like it was like, oh, wait, here's a comedian. What's he doing? He's he's talking about homelessness. Oh, is he now? Okay, so Mr. Comedian thinks it's funny. No, you silly, silly person. What I'm doing is (laughs) I'm using comedy to try and get people to look at a, a problem that's so serious that people don't look at it anymore. I'm trying to use levity to like just for a split second go, hey, look over here. Okay, now you saw it. You can't don't see it, you know. So, uh, so some people didn't get the new ones cause they didn't watch enough for the, the content. Uh, but I only got one, like truth, truthfully, man, it was like, I think it was actually like two people. One person was, uh, unhinged and, uh, the only thing that came across my radar, man, a lot of the stuff like insider edition is some, uh, American publication. They did a video. I looked through the comments there for a few seconds and man, never read the comments on YouTube because no matter what you do, you can't win. Like and, but do you know what, came, I have a friend who's kind of famous, uh, I won't name drop because there's no point, but he, you know, everyone in Hollywood has famous friends, it's not, like, not that cool, because everyone at some point gets famous if you're staying long enough, right? So one of my friends goes, hey, just like, go to your favorite comedian, go to your favorite comedian, go to his best act, and scroll down through the comments. <laughs> Dude, I was doing pretty well, so <laughs> compared to like, <laughs> like, like the, the best, you know, so... So literally, I think people just saw it as a good thing, and uh, you really had to go out of your way to be upset by what I was doing. And then we raised twenty thousand dollars for a charity. So I mean, like, I mean, what, what more do you want? <laughs> like, what can I do? Like, it's, <laughs> it's like the best be thing man. I ever. Yeah, it's great, man. I, am so. I feel like lucky to, lucky to have. It was almost like I didn't choose it, and uh, the love and uh, it, the positivity I've experienced as a result. It was worth. All the suffering. And that's the... Like, I mean, that's... Your podcast is about overcoming suffering, right? Or, like, weight yeah. getting through pain. Everything worth doing... I know this is archaic, you know, but everything worth doing is hard. And uh, I was working on this analogy, dude. Maybe you like this, you know... Uh, I felt like when I started off, you know, first I had the, the corneal abrasion, nearly lost my eye. Then I had a problem with my shins. Then I got food poisoning. Then I got caught in a storm underneath a sheet of plastic in the worst storm, like the vineyards had ever seen. Then I nearly, you know, like walking through the mountains in mountain lion territory, like I that I hadn't factored in. Uh, getting hungry, n- nearly running out of food, you know, nearly running out of water. Uh, all the hardship. It's like, like, dude, I wouldn't have anything to talk about. I wouldn't have any experiences to share on stage if I didn't suffer a little bit. It's like going out through the waves, you know? You have to swim out through the breakwater, like life tests you, you know? You have to get out before you get to like cruise in on a wave. You got to suffer. You got to like break through those waves, man. Sometimes they knock you back. Sometimes you have to take a rest on the beach and recuperate and then go out the next day, you know? But eventually, dude, you, you, you work out a way to navigate through that breakwater. And then all of a sudden, dude, you're out in this calm water. Life is good. And then you get to surf back into the beach <laughs> on, 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 on all your hard work. That's cool. And that, that's, that's what it felt like uh, this rough set, man. It was like I put my mind and my body, uh, uh, you know, invested in it my whole life force for 40 days. And uh, as a result, I now feel like a more integrated human, like I've actually, oh, I've, I've done something that's bigger than myself and if I don't do anything else bigger than myself in my life, at least I did one thing, you know?
1: That's cool, man. I'm going to take that analogy and use it as the sound bite for the start of the interview. <laughs>
0: that's great. Thank you. Um,
1: a couple questions, brother. What would you say yeah, yeah. that like, obviously you being through the military, the hardships with your um, brother, growing up, and then now experiencing homelessness um, for a time. What would you say the
0: quality of your life is like now? Um, okay, I have to I have to do the caveat. Right? Okay. So uh, one is I, I I only scratched the surface. I had I always had an end in sight. As I was never yep. fully homeless. I, I you know uh, it's it's way different if you're fully homeless, no support system, with no end in sight, and maybe some mental or or uh, uh, vices, okay, some mental issues or vices, but uh, it put everything in perspective, when I got home dude, the safe, I could hear the protection that the walls afforded me, I could I could, the joy of knowing that there was a fridge full of food and a shower five feet from the end of my bed, oh my god, dude, I went I had a shower in a truck stop about week four, I had had one, one or two other showers before that, maybe two in in, in those four weeks or whatever like three, you know. So, but dude, I cried when I had a shower. It's a, one of the videos I made. Like, it's you, you start to become hyper aware of how good life is. It's almost, I don't know, somebody once told me that they were on psychedelic mushrooms and they understood the universe. When you suffer enough uh, w- with with reason, because you have to temper it with reason, otherwise you're just suffering. But when you suffer for a cause, or put yourself under some pressure for a cause, whether it be studying for exams or whatever, it's always rewarded. And uh, that that like the perspective it gave me and the clarity of how lucky I am on this planet, you know, I don't think I can forget that. It's like you know, it would be what I've heard having a mushroom experience would be like. You know, (laughs) you can't forget it.
1: (laughs) Um, Obviously, you've uh, implemented gratitude. Or reconnected yeah. to gratitude after that what else have you added to your life or removed from it to improve the quality of it um,
0: well yeah gratitude is a big one, somebody actually gave me a trick on that was like every time you stop at a red light you can flip that into a positive and use the red light as a moment to be grateful for something so that's a I like that that's cool. um, yeah that's a nice little life hack um, eye, con- eye contact and just being more kind so I now focus on making sure that I make. Like I was always pretty communicative, but now I understand the value of eye contact and, and inclusion. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I've always tried to bring people who were like uh, in the out group into the in group. You know, get them picked for the football team when I was a kid, or you know, defend them if there was someone who was giving them a hard time. Whatever. I think most humans do that. But now it's like, okay, as an adult, people in the streets make eye contact. Also, uh, also making time. Um, to be alone in nature, because uh, when I was out cross, I was I was going up through the mountains. Sometimes I was cutting uh, some miles off my journey via by using the train tracks, and they're very remote, you know. And um, so I would be sometimes like forty eight hours without seeing someone else or whatever, which isn't a long time, but it's enough to have an experience with just you and nature. Yeah. And uh, one realization is that there's something so powerful out there that we have spent our entire lives building up a world of neurosis around us so that we don't have to deal with uh, the responsibility that understanding that power and our, our own inner power would, would be. So, so when I was out there, dude, I don't know if it was spiritual or religious or whatever, and I'm not a religious or spiritual guy really, but you do realize that, oh, wait, why am, why am I not like okay on my own in nature by myself? Why do I always have to have my cell phone? Why do I always have to have a coffee? Why do I always have to call? You know, and then you you realize that uh, it's because there's some there's something, whether it's a higher power, God, whatever you want to call it, but there's something out there that we need to spend time with, and we're not doing it anymore.
1: Yeah, and if we and, if we spend time in isolation, if we have the time without our phones, without distractions, then we're forced to face the darkest part of ourselves as well.
0: Yeah, darkest and lightest, and uh, you know I don't. Like, no one knows where inspiration comes from, right? It just comes from, like, we have ideas. Like, yeah. the cell phone that I'm talking to you on, dude, this, this existed in the form of inspiration for millennia before someone made it. So, like, all the answers are out there. Maybe not specifics, like how to download Facebook for your phone. <laughs> but, like, the, but the, all the information and everything a human needs is out there already. And just sitting under a tree in silence is enough. And if anybody thinks that's kooky, if anyone thinks that's weird, it's the only thing that's actually true. Because a human in its most innate form, like a naked human under a tree, is the only thing that's not neurosis. It's the only it's the only like a human in nature is the only thing that's not weird. Everything else is a distraction from your true power.
1: Yeah, that's cool. And that's sort of like have yeah, right? you read have you read Big Love? No, but now I'm gonna Oh, oh big big love, big magic. It's, that sounds cool it's sort of that same idea about creativity and that ideas come from you within silence are you running out of battery
0: i'm scared that i'm gonna drop okay uh, drop you again
1: i think uh, we'll, but, we'll leave it here brother and i'll acknowledge you i'll acknowledge you for what you've done man big time um appreciate the fact that you've done this for homelessness you're a legend hey uh
0: hey you know yeah uh, thank you for your kind words I have to, because I'm Irish, I can't take it on. And also because the reality is, dude, there was a problem out there. and The problem still exists. Everybody I met on the trip is still out there. You know, we raised a little bit of money, but there's a, uh, I was just in the right place at the right time. uh, And a conduit for everyone else's good energy to be passed through. And that's why, that's why I got, I got to surf everyone else's good energy, man. That's awesome. That's what it. That's what it really is. Cool.
1: And for anyone who's wanting to look at what you've done, look at what you've (laughs) gone through, I'll just put the links to your Facebook page. Yo, sorry about that. We dropped out again for that interview with Francis Cronin. If anyone is looking to see what he did for the rough set, to check any of his videos, any of his posts, most of them are quite funny, and some of them are quite raw. They may be a little bit eye opening. If you're keen to check those out, I'll put the link in the show notes below. I'll put it on Facebook as well. Go have a look. Um, I'm sure you'll find some sort of nugget of gold to reevaluate yourself and to reevaluate your life and to find that gratitude and to hopefully start giving homeless people that eye contact that they deserve. Cheers.